Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with Arjun Saraf, the CFO of New Haven Mortgage Corporation, to talk about private money, how do these operations work, what are the rates that they lend out at, what are some of the behind-the-scenes things that go on at mortgage companies that are not the big banks here in Canada. So we try to peel the curtain back a little bit and dive into this world, and Arjun was really great, uh, graceful in how much information that he shared with us, so really appreciative of that. And if you're listening to this, and you want to get some information about financing and the way residential real estate investing works, what are the interest rates that are going on, you know, how do you qualify, what are the down payments like, that's just one of the many classes that we offer to Rockstar Inner Circle members here. One of the classes about financing, and we cover all the things that we've learned over the years, you know, down payments and interest rates and refinances and HELOCs and how do the banks look at these things, what do they look for, do residential real estate investors get the best rates, or do they pay a different interest rate? How does private money work? So we cover all that stuff. And that's just one of the over 20 classes that Rockstar Inner Circle members have access to. So if you're interested in that world of real estate investing, but you're not completely sure how all the, how all the financing works, you can get access to that class by becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member. And you can learn all about the membership by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com. That's Rockstar innercircle.com. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Arjun Saraf. Sorry, Arjun. I'm just looking over here to make sure the recording is capturing the audio and it is capturing the audio. So Perfect. We are, yeah, we are good to go. We are good to go. <laughs> I want to speak for an hour and say, hey, what did we do? But yeah, you're pointing to the sticker on my laptop, which is like a, a Bitcoin sticker. And we were just talking how I completely dismissed this thing. Right. I, I, not only did I dismiss it, like I laughed at it. I was like, this is completely ridiculous. I'm a tech guy listen, I'm a tech guy. You know, I was like, Hey, listen, if, if anyone's going to figure this out, I'm going to figure this out. I'm a tech guy. For sure. This thing is silly. How about we just start the rock star coin? How about that? You know? And then I kind of went down the deep dive during the pandemic and I was like, wait a second, this is a bit of an engineering marvel here with this proof of work and there's a limited supply. And I had never heard of the concept of a limited supply or scarcity in the digital world. You can copy and paste and make a million versions of like anything. Sure. So I didn't understand the mechanics on how that was actually managed. Right. And then going down that rabbit hole, I thought, holy smokes, like, wait. I've totally misunderstood this. And as a, as a gold guy in the past, why did I not get this? Right. So, uh, then ever since it's been, I don't know, hundreds of hours of study and reading and, you know, just deep down into this Bitcoin rabbit hole and trying to figure out what it is. And then it lined up with real estate. It's like, we are not real estate guys because of real estate is like number one. It was what real estate offered us. Sure. As the central banks are printing a lot of money, the real estate is more scarce than the dollars. And if we can kind of do a bit of a short play on fiat dollars, you know, afford to borrow 20%, get 100% of the, the financing you need, you know, put right. 20 down, borrow 80. It's a bit of a short play on, on the dollar, really, using yep. real estate as the vehicle to pull off that maneuver. 
So almost using the banking system to our own selfish advantage. And then we kind of realize, oh, Bitcoin aligns a lot with this type of thinking. Which, I mean, which you should, because the government doesn't have consideration for the individual citizen when it starts printing all kinds of money. And like you mentioned about savings, right? It, you're, they're eroding savings for people. So if you have an opportunity that you can take advantage of that, why not? Um, my story in Bitcoin was actually kind of interesting. So we didn't talk about this. I didn't know you had a yeah, story in Bitcoin. I, Got it. So I, um, uh, back in 2010 or 2011, I was, uh, I was in New Orleans just after they won the Super Bowl. And uh, I saw a Bitcoin ATM. And I'm like, what is this? I had no idea. And I thought to myself, I remember sitting there and I'm like, uh, you know, I Googled it and I'm like, what, you know, what is Bitcoin? And I thought to myself, let me take some out of this ATM. Let yeah, me try yeah. and invest in it. But sure enough, I was talking to my friends in line and they're like, you're like, what kind of BS is this? Crazy, like, crazy. Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Oh, yeah. You can do okay, whatever you want. All right. yeah. yeah, I just wanted to make sure before I, <laughs> I said anything and then I'd get bleeped out. But they're like, you're crazy. Don't waste your money. And nothing will ever happen. We will save you. Yeah, we will we save will, you. We'll save you. <laughs> now I don't talk to those people anymore. Just so you know. Um, but I uh, then fast forward to 2017 and uh, I'm driving to Niagara with a friend of mine. Shout out to John King. He convinced me in that car ride. He just kept telling me, buy it, buy it, buy it. And at that point, it was like, I, I can't remember. It was about, you know, two, three hundred bucks a coin, something like that. And uh, I'm like, OK, just stop talking. I'll buy it. And uh, then you know, up in, I think it was at about 22 and I sold and I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is it. It dropped down to three after that. Like it went on the collapse and then it went on a historic rise. So I don't know if I sold too early, like I'm not in it anymore. I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm sure, you know, based on discussions, based on research that I probably did sell too early and I should have held on. But story of all our lives. Yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, and I'm watching it go up and up and I'm like, oh, man, yeah, you know, every FOMO time. kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just such a new thing. It's cool that you had that ride. Like, yeah. the fact that you went through that brings you closer to it than most people, because most sure. people just outright dismiss it. That was really your friend. Do you, did your friend who talked you into buying some, did he stay in? Do you oh, think? yeah. Oh, he yeah. Stayed in. He, he has been a believer from day one and he's honestly one of the smartest guys I know, way smarter than I am. And that's what I was going to say on yeah. this topic. As I study it, some of the smartest thinkers around economics and macroeconomics and um, money and monetary history, yeah. when they break it down, they come to the conclusion like, wow, we, I think there's something here. I don't really know what it is. Sure. I don't know where it completely goes from here as measured in dollars. I, right. I'm not for sure, but some smart people seem to have arguments for it, not against it. And I find myself because now I'm, I'm a believer. And so I find myself looking for the arguments against it. And over time, I'm finding less and less of those arguments. The biggest one would be the government's, you know, they are not going to like this. If, if you and I are controlling the printing presses, we probably wouldn't like it if the guy across the street's controlling it instead of yeah. us, right? They so. makes their own currency and yeah. puts, puts fiat out of business, yeah. right? For, so that's interesting. For you to have that kind of thinking, what's your story? I know we, we are here, and I do want to lead to New Haven Mortgage and everything you're doing there, but sure. what is your story? Like, How do you end up to have even the thought that something like 
Bitcoin is interesting. To me, that tells me you're a student of economics or you, you're studying you know, money in some capacity. Like, how, do you, how, how have you got to your place in life now? Maybe let everyone know what you do right now sure. and, then, and then rewind a little bit and let us know how you got there. Sure. So uh, I'm uh, the CFO of New Haven Mortgage Income Fund. We're a mortgage investment corporation. And uh, a lot of what we do is lending in Ontario. So it gives you kind of a unique uh, viewpoint or vantage point to how the economy is doing, right? You get a front row seat, basically, especially because in Canada, a lot of wealth is held, held in real estate. You know, it's one of the biggest drivers of our GDP. Um, so, you know, I've been in the industry for about 14 years. And over the period of time, I've seen, obviously, the the price of housing go through the roof, right? And it's, you know, like you said, I've, I took economics in university. It's a simple supply-demand issue, right? Uh, but the unfortunate part is that while the price of the houses are going up, the income relative to the price of housing has not, right? So for me, there has to be the ability to control how much printing the government does. Because, you know, even if you look at the states for as, as an example, right, every year it seems like all they do is raise the debt ceiling. They're always at that point. With some drama, though. Right. Like the drama oh, before, yeah. like they're not going to do it. You know, Wait, we yeah. are going to debate this till the very last minute. I know. And they, and they hold ransom. They hold yeah. it ransom. They basically say, OK, unless you do this, this and this, we're not going to cooperate with you. And to me, with the, the rising price of, of money, um, you know, and I was listening to uh, to a pod on this, uh, the All In podcast, mm -hmm. and uh, they were talking about the service cost of the debt. Right. One thing people don't consider is the fact that on these trillions of dollars, when interest was low, it was a lot easier to service that debt. But now that the cost of interest is going up. Have you huh. seen that chart? It's starting to hockey stick. Yeah. Like the, the interest now, if you go to the St. Louis Fed, you can Google all this stuff up. Right. And it's starting to just go straight up. I don't think on that chart it's crossed a trillion dollars a year in annual interest payments. Right. But it's going to. And, and wh where does that money come from? It comes from the individual, right? So all the programs that we're, they're trying to create that they've, you know, uh, spent all this time on their election platforms on. That's what they're trying to, that's where the money is going to come from. They're not going to be able to do those programs because they simply have to pay their debt down, right? And that, even on a macro level, will go down to a micro level where people spend all their, their you know, open income basically on trying to service their mortgage debt because the interest rates are so high, the cost of housing is so high, and their income just hasn't gone up. And, uh, it, you know, multi-purpose rentals, is a big industry now simply because people need a place to live. They need an option, right? And they're going to uh, get smaller sp spots for their dog. You know, yeah. on, on that point, I think back in 1998, I had one friend tell me that real estate is done going up because we had a collapse in the early 90s and it took, it went down for like six years. And then in 98, it had come up a little bit for maybe sure. two years or so. Yeah. And I had a good friend say, hey, that's it. It's done. Like, don't get into real estate now. It's about to, it's about to turn, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Then it's gone on this run from 1998 till whatever, 2017, yeah. there was a bit of a dip. Now we're going through this thing. Yeah. But I remember uh, probably then and then around 2008 to 2010, that era, people would say, well, Tom, 
who can afford these prices? No one's going to afford it. And even back then, Nick and I were, were of the opinion that it's not that people will be able to afford these things anymore. They will just get less space for their dollar. Sure. So when we were renting out properties in Hamilton, uh, you know, maybe around 2007 to 10, there would be a fully single, full single detached home renting out for about 1350 to 1500. We just had a chat with our team at Western University, a single room for a student at Western just went for 1300. So we've gone from a world in Ontario where you could rent an entire house in Hamilton, Ontario for between 1300 and $1,500 a month to a world where in London, Ontario now $1,300 gets you a room in a student rental. That's unbelievable. I mean, and the fact is, is that that's not a quality of living. If somebody comes here with a family, let's say an immigrant, and they need to make ends meet, they're not going to be able to enter the market. The cost to enter in is just too high, right? So you're talking about a family that could potentially be living in kind of a one-bedroom rental almost, right? Versus having access to a house when you know, back, back then when it was 1350, which wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And yeah, but, and you know, sometimes I, I forget with COVID the whole COVID thing, the two years, just like, I have no point of reference (laughs) almost because we've lost it. Yeah. yeah, It's like happened in that 24 month window. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone keeps saying, Oh, that was like four years ago. And I'm like, it was four years ago. I'm like, it felt like 25 because you know, you just don't, yeah. that time just evaporated, basically. What do you think, your your parents are like immigrants to Canada? They actually live in India. So oh, your parents live in India? They For live some in reason, India. I thought they were here. You were born there or here? I, so I have a, a strange story. So I was, uh, my parents lived here for 10 years. Uh, my dad worked for uh, Pete Marwick or KPMG today. Um, and he qualified as, he qualified as a CA in London, England, then moved here and then worked here for 10 years, then India's economy started opening up a bit. So he wanted to kind of go back and start his own business. Oh, wow. So when I was three months old, my, my sister was three years old at the time, we moved back to India. So I grew up in India for 18 years. What part? Uh, in Delhi. Oh, cool. So, and then I, after 18 years, I came back here, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so I went to Carlton, like, uh, Last chance you, as they call it. <laughs> At the time when I was going through, yeah. I was last. Year. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, but you know, I figured it out. It took a uh, couple of parties, yeah. and then you know, I figured out my way. And uh, got to get that out of your system. You do, and and I think it's one thing I don't like about the education system. Sometimes is you're expecting an 18 year old to make a life decision on where they're going to end up, right? When they don't even know who they are yet, right? So, uh, you know, the, it was the hardest thing I had to do because I'm like, I have to pick a career. And, you know, I picked something, I didn't like it. And then I ended up, you know, going back out after university, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And my dad, like I mentioned, he was a CPA. He's like, oh, do your CPA. And I tried my hardest to not do it. But <laughs> unfortunately, I ended up doing it anyway. It sounds so. like it was a family bloodline thing. It was, oh, yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. He said, you're going to need something to, to fall back on. Right. And he was right. Like, uh, you know, it it does definitely help shape a career. And uh, I'm fortunate enough that I got the exposure into real estate because it actually ended up being something I really wanted to do. And I didn't really, you know, a lot of people don't 
back then, maybe about 15 years ago, like you mentioned, people were talking about, oh, real estate is capped out. You know, there's no industry here anymore. But I'm, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, my mentor, David Viner, he, he brought me in and, uh, you know, I got exposure to the market and I said, this is really interesting. And that's one of the founders of New Haven Mortgage? He is, yeah. He uh, unfortunately passed away in 2016 from a brain tumor, but oh, wow. one of the smartest guys I knew and he, he really set up kind of the foundation for what New Haven is today. And, you know, the vision that we're living out was a lot of what he wanted. And unfortunately, he's not around to see it. But, you know, every time I do this or I talk about New Haven, I can't go without, you know, giving my props to him because without him, New Haven wouldn't be where it is today. And without him, I wouldn't be where I am mm. today. Right. So um, it life's weird. Life's weird. It's weird. Right. And things like that happen. I mean, it's someone lives their whole life and you've um, I don't want to use the word benefit. I don't know what the word is. Like it's, it's helped you through your life, what this other person has done. Yeah. And they're no longer here and you want to honor them in their memory. It's just, yeah, it's uh, it's a delicate thing. Well, and, and people always say, you know, like, and he said too, I remember him saying, um, you know, I have time, right? And one thing people don't understand is that time is a relative concept, right? It's like, you can have time where you think, you know, you'll do this tomorrow, you'll do this the day after. Like you had mentioned, you, you bought that house Croatia. in Croatia, right? It's a um, condo. Let's not, let's not oversell it. It's a condo. It's a house, guys. <laughs> it's yeah. a 15 bedroom yeah. mansion in Croatia. We have, a villa. Told me. we have three yachts that pull up. Yeah. <laughs> but the Sultan of Brunei yeah. comes and spends time there, right? We're like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that y you did something that I hope one day I'm going to do, mm -hmm. which is also, you know, your background is Croatian. My background is Indian. I hope that I will have a property there too for my family and my kids to go back and be in touch with the culture there, right? I think that's especially now with India, I feel like is just on a tear. The population of India just passed China as the most populous country, I believe, in the world just like yeah. a month ago. The economy seems to be opening up. I saw a picture of some parliament type building that they just built in one of the cities. I don't know if it's like the capital or if it was yeah. for just one city. I, I don't know the details. Beautiful, like a stunning thing. You just can feel the energy coming from there right now. I, I have a question for you. Sure. Is, are, you know, obviously tons of people from India will come to Canada right now. And we, we talked about this briefly before we st started recording. Are we just selling them a bit of a bill of goods, like I had mentioned? Like, we're kind of selling this idea of Canada through its education system. We get a lot of students here. Sure. I think we put on pictures of the Rocky Mountains and like, hey, yeah. here's this stuff. But I almost feel like we need to have a little bit more clarity as to what the reality on the streets here are right. when we're bringing people from other countries in. What, what, do you, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, I, I do think it's a little bit of a, a sale, a sales pitch almost. It like it, yeah. Yeah, it, it just feels like, you know, you're, you're selling people on the Canadian dream and they're spending all kinds of money to get here. They're spending, a lot of people are spending their family life savings because unfortunately there's a lot of, um, a lot of people who take advantage of people who are immigrating to Canada, right? There's actually recently in the news I read about a, a scam the student scam. I think they deported 800 students who. Had I signed, saw that briefly too, and I yeah, know the details. Who signed up on this like fake, you know, admission forms that they all moved to Canada and then they got sent back, and the amount of money they probably spent to get here 
including paying the, the middleman, quote unquote, to get here was is incredible. Right. And then they get here if they do, if they're, you know, not and I don't want to say lucky enough, but if they make it here, it's, you know, they get through university and and where are the jobs? Where is the opportunity to mm-hmm. to make that, especially in this economy today? Right. Where a lot of people are laying off, um, you know, staff, there's there's not a whole lot of opportunity like there was maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Why do you think Canada as a country, I haven't prepared you for any of this. I'm just curious about your thoughts. Canada as a country, we're so dependent on the real estate market and we can't seem to get that business investment and innovation and tech aspect of our GDP ramped up. You any thoughts on that? I think it's more just government investment too, right? I, I think the government is secure in the real estate market, right? Mm. And developers complain about this a lot. They say that governments, you know, there's five, six, seven levels of development charges to make a development. And, you know, obviously, like I'd mentioned before, the multi-purpose rental, right? We're dealing with some city councils who are not developed enough yet to understand what opportunity they may have in the land around them. So, uh, you know, the model for, for the Canadian government is to get kind of the taxes from this and you know with in tech it's not as mature a market yet Mm -hmm. right um we have had a lot of companies move here like the googles of the world amazon has moved here too um but typically ones that have started elsewhere yeah and try to take advantage of maybe a cheaper labor because of a currency arbitrage healthcare is paid for here so they're kind of leveraging some of the benefits of canada to their own advantage and 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 i'm not complaining i was a beneficiary of that i worked for oracle and netsuite um but it seems like homegrown stuff is a little little weak right now sure and and you also look at uh, even stuff that comes from america that doesn't work here on the business model look at target Right. Mm. Target came to, to Canada full blast yeah. and they just didn't build the right business model to survive. You're right. Nordstrom, too, I think, just right. closing down. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in Canada, it takes a very specific business model. You need to understand the taxes. You need to understand how the systems work, how to get the best out of your employees in a different environment. Right. Um, people are less likely to, to settle for stock options here, as an example, in the tech industry. Right. They want that safety net. Um, But, you know, as time goes on, Canada will have no choice but to invest in these markets because you have a rising population. And as technology improves, a lot of the jobs that, you know, people relied on before are being replaced by technology. I mean, take a look at chat GPT. You can you you know, you can basically do anything with that. We use it in here all the time already. That, and that technology is wild and it's scratching the surface of what they're actually capable of. Because that, keep in mind, that's the free version they released. Imagine the version that they're probably working on behind the scenes, right? Well, I just had this weird thought the other day. I was uh, playing around with Midjourney. Midjourney is the AI that will do graphics for you. I don't know if you've played with it yet, where you can type in text like, give me a picture of you know, someone on a beach in Croatia with a sunset with mountains behind them. Is, it, is that you or is that anybody else? Yeah, yeah, no. The Sultan of Brunei, it, it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't, it wasn't a picture of me. I was just monkeying around with it, but uh, it could have been. Um, but and it'll, it'll. Um, if you haven't seen this yet, you got to play with it. You yeah. just type in basically anything and it will give you the graphical rendering of it and then you can enhance it. So it's, it, and just in the last three or four months of playing with this, 
the development of it is incredible. But then the other day, I was trying to make a meme to bother one of my friends. Yep. And I couldn't, you know, I'm not good with graphics myself, but then I thought, why don't I just go to chat GPT? Because I don't understand the prompt to give mid-journey sure. to make the meme for me. And so I put it into chat GPT, and unfortunately it said, oh, I don't know anything past the year 2021 or whatever it said, so I don't sure. know what mid-journey is. Yep. But then here's a prompt for someone to create what you're talking about. So it almost gave me a description that I could submit to a graphic person on Fiverr or online somewhere. It was the most beautiful description of a little project that I could take from chat GPT 10 times better than I would have described the Canadian real estate market, the funny parts of it, the sad yeah. parts of it, and to how to explain it to a graphics person who maybe sure. is not familiar with it for them, how to, uh, for details on how to create this meme. So I was just blown. I'm like, holy smokes. But then if it did understand mid journey, and I could just go to ChatGPT for the prompt, right. then put it into Midjourney. All of us are now like video creators, yeah. producers, directors. Well, but you you look at how technology, I mean, at one point Wikipedia was that page, <laughs> right? You remember where everyone was just copying and pasting Wikipedia articles? Yeah. Um, but it's incredible how we thought we were reliant on technology, but with the power of AI and technology, um, you know, I, I think that people will become more and more used to kind of doing their own thing, right? Mm -hmm. Will become more individualistic. They talk about these societies where, you know, you live in one building, you have a gym, you have restaurants, and, uh, you know, there's a workspace, right? And you basically, you become, you know, your own business person essentially and kind of flashback to the borg i don't know if you watched star trek yeah but this the borg is just this big thing with all right. these humans connected to each other yeah. that building just that oh my gosh we're all just connected into <laughs> well, the internet it's funny have you seen uh one of my my favorite i think uh Dis disney or pixar movie was uh wally oh you yeah, yeah, seen yeah that? yes yeah so you know that's kind of what i imagine that society will become like eventually yeah. because We'll just be sitting around doing nothing and let technology basically guide us around. Oh my God, the we are in the matrix. We yeah. are in the matrix. <laughs> we, are putting, we are building the matrix for ourselves. That's yeah. the sad part. Of it, we are. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, but so Canada's, I guess you're basically saying, listen, Canada's going to get on board with this trend because out of necessity, it's just going to yeah, be forced I, into it. I, I think that no matter how much we try to avoid technology, uh, it's going to end up catching up with us and we're going to end up having to use it in day-to-day -day lives, right? And, I'm sorry, I mean, we already use it. Mm -hmm. Just our rely, reliance yeah. on it will just, you know, exponentially grow as, you know, these tools start coming into the workplace. And, you know, you imagine we used to, at one point in our lifetimes, go to a library, yeah. look up a book. My university and then, experience was yeah. that, take and then, books out of the library. And then like, you know, have to manually reference it properly yeah. and yes. make sure that oh we didn't. God. Do you remember that? That's You would like lose marks if yeah. you didn't like properly source yeah. your information. Like you, you remember you had to underline right. things and quote things and the page number. And at a certain ridiculous. point, you're just like, okay, I gave them credit. What I'm am telling I, you what page it's yeah, on. How am I losing marks? Yeah. And underline the book title right. properly or something. And then you just think about that. That's just like, that's just this generation will never have to like do that manually again. Right. I was describing this to my daughter, like that my, her, her mom and, and myself, we met at university mm -hmm. and that we would hang out in the library and we, because we were having to take out books and I was explaining microfiche. 
Remember yep. like the old stuff oh, back wow. then? You yeah. had to get it. Like if it was old back then, the current stuff was at least a book. Right. But if it was old, you kind of had to go to this thing called yeah. microfiche. And it was like this flimsy paper and you put it on this it's machine. Like the newspaper article. Yeah. The right? newspaper yeah. articles. And you were looking. And if you had to find something, you might spend all day right. going through two years of newspaper articles trying to find some information. Sure. Whereas now you punch it into Google or ChatGPT. It'll give you the beautiful summary of the information. Right. And just for her context of that, she's like, why did you do that? Like, why, why were you doing that? Like she had no frame of reference to understand why would we even do that? Yeah. It's, it's not even a concept right now. It's just, it's so far fetched that you'd have to go in and start manually, you know, finding information when you can just Google has just changed the world. Right. The X, I can't figure out the exponential curve on the change of jobs in this economy. Like if you just look at Toronto, the way it is now, like we're obviously, I mean, if you look at our business, the, you know, our marketing team is highly leveraging chat GPT, sure. artificial intelligence. For example, this podcast that we're recording, let's say it's going to be about an hour. Um, we have an AI tool in here that actually my son who's with us will, um, for the summer, will use it. It will, he will give it to the AI algorithm. It will listen to you and I for the whole hour in 10 minutes and give him four or five clips of our discussion. That is, it has detected our separate topics based on inflection in our voice and wording. And so it will listen to 60 minutes in 10 minutes right. and give you a bunch of clips that you can use on social media. Right. So th that work has been compressed in the past. He would listen to it for an hour and then make notes on sticky notes to where to edit different topics, then go in video cuts of this, have to caption it. The AI, by the way, will also caption sure. our discussion and all of this in 10 minutes versus what would take him an hour of listening plus two to three hours of video work. So we're taking about four hours and compressing it to 10 minutes. It's, it's like how as a GDP, as an economy, how do we even measure that type of productivity. How does the government even tax the, and this is, I guess where my mind goes to, because the government needs an increasing in an inflationary world, the government needs this increasing tax base just to make its payments back to your early sure. point yeah. in a deflationarily deflationary, highly productive technology based environment. How do you capture the taxes on that kind of productivity that is forcing a decrease in the price of things? Right. We now don't have to hire perhaps an extra body going forward when he leaves back to Western. We can just use the AI. Somebody on the side just punches in a bunch of these podcasts. How is the government going to capture the economic benefit of that to pay for the inflationary system that it requires to grow and grow with a higher? And we're both in real estate. Right. You, you, the debt load must grow. I I think eventually at some point, like a lot of the services that we pay for, like let's take uh, power as an example, right? I think those are just going to become free as technology increases. So, you know, we'll have a sustainable form of a source of energy that will last. So if you look at the baseline of, of people's lives, right, there's going to be a certain minimum baseline that everyone's going to live on because technology will just force standard of living to be at that level, mm -hmm. right? So uh, while there is a lot of work to be still done in that area, and like, you know, you talk about emerging markets like India as an example, right? We are, you know, not too far, but far enough away from the same problems happening in that type of economy versus our economy. But you eventually look at what the other industries are, right? Look at SpaceX, look at where everybody else is going. So we will find a way to find people to work. But I do think that 
just as technology has done in the past, right? Like, you know, you look back four, five, six hundred years ago, you know, what was the lifespan of the average human, right? 40, 40 years, 50 years old, right? Now they're talking about even people living up to 110. Now you've got, you know, all these people living up to 110. What are, what <laughs> are you like going to do? Disaster. So yeah. So you're going to have all these, all these old people. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of the economy, I think it just, it's just a different frame yeah. of, of reference. You're just going to have to think of it differently in the sense that stuff that you paid for or, you know, had to worry about in the past is going to become kind of a baseline standard for people to live because, you know, I'm sure with, you know, biotech that, you know, all the stuff they're working on, you know, they're talking about they have the ability to reverse aging. So, you know, before we know it, we're all going to be Benjamin Buttons going back the other way. And, um, you know, with that type of technology, it's incredible what they can do, right? They're going to, you know, find ways to make unlimited food supplies, right? Um, who knows what they'll do with water, but they'll have to figure out kind of what the next step is in maturation for the economy. And I guess the so yeah, I agree with it all. And I guess the only thing that's really capturing my interest is that it seems that this is going to happen at an exponential pace moving forward. I don't think it's going to take another 50 to 100 years for dramatic changes for us to see. I really think it'll be like in the next 10 years, yep. we're going to look back on 2019 at, you know, in the year 2029, we're going to look back on 2019 like, wow, like, yeah. what? Can you believe people drove their own cars? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now you just stumble into the car and say, yeah. home. Home. You know I mean? Yeah. See home. I mean, we're really close to that already. Sure. So, uh, I, so uh, okay. On the real estate side, I'm curious, what are you seeing from your vantage point out in the economy now from, you know, your activity in real estate? I, I do want to talk about the different things that New Haven Mortgage does specifically, sure. but I guess just at a high level, what are you seeing out there in the economy right now? Are you seeing... I mean, we're seeing more power of sale listings kind of pass through. So we primarily work with investors who sure. are buying rental income properties as a bit of a hedge against the inflationary system in which we all live. Um, so we're not used to seeing tons of listings in this brokerage. Sure. We more work with buyers who are looking to buy. Yeah. Um, but we are now seeing some more power of listing, uh, sorry, power of sale type properties pop up. Are you seeing in your line of work any kind of changes that are, uh, you know, raising eyebrows or anything? Yeah. I, I mean, there is obviously an increase in, in arrears. I mean, that's just, I think that's across the board simply because, you know, there are people obviously losing their jobs and affordability of the mortgages are just not what they were, you know, three, four or five years ago. A marginal increase or a shocking increase? So, so then that's where the interesting point comes in, right? Because it's about the lender. So the lender, like if you've noticed, the banks, they've changed their amortizations on the back end, yeah. right? Kind of so, quietly, let's face yeah, it. Oh, like yeah. It's not really yeah. headline news. No, definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. not. Why would they want to no. make that headline yeah, yeah. news, right? So um, th there's ways that lenders are now working with the borrowers to kind of avoid those types of situations. But, you know, status quo, if everything were to go along with the actual oh, uh, market okay. rate interest, you're going to see way more than what you're seeing even today, right? But the fact is, is that in our industry, like what we've seen is that we've also had to work a lot more with the borrowers to make situations um, kind of palatable, for, palatable everyone. for everyone, right? Because, you know, if, if we're charging, let's say nine and a half percent on a mortgage, right? And the borrower can't afford that. They can only afford the 7% they were paying. 
Um, would we force them out of their house, potentially, you know, spend thousands of dollars yeah. uh, to like you're kicking That's a family, your yeah. you're kicking a family out of the house. That's also, you know, not something that we want to do. Um, and three, you're potentially not going to, you know, recover as much money for everybody. Right. We'll get out because we focus on loan to values. Right. But you know, what about the borer? What about their life savings that they put in that house, mm-hmm. right? So it's a much more palatable situation if you work with them. And we found that recently, probably in the last month, you know, bidding wars are back. Mm-hmm. Um, There's certain pockets, obviously, in Toronto and the GTA that, you know, just they retain their value and they're, they're on the uptick. There's obviously still some areas that, you know, just in the more rural markets that haven't really come back yet, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because some some of the prices out there, like if you oh, look back, it went straight up. Yeah. April 20, uh, May, March, April, May 2022. Like you're looking at, you know, spending a million bucks out in an area that, you know, nobody's ever heard of before. Right. With no houses around. So what's your point of reference for that marketability? It's just the fact that money's so cheap so I can sell this house for a million bucks. So, um, you know, I, I, I've kind of referenced this before in in. Um, in my work or, you know, what I've seen in the industry is the fact that this next, you know, four or five, six months is critical, right? And you're going to see a lot of effort made by a lot of the lenders out there, including the banks who keep it quiet because they don't, you know, I love it. I love the stigma, the never, yeah, I, I you love know, it. the stigma of the banks is like, oh, they're this great, you know, perfect institution that never make bets, never lose money. We're, but, we have the Canadian banks. They're the best. They're they the are best. the best banks in the world. We're yeah. so lucky to have these banks. That's yeah. the story. And just for anyone listening who isn't aware, what's happening is some people have mortgages where they're on a variable rate. The banks have chosen not to change their monthly payment. And instead, if they had, let's say, 18 years left on the amortization of a 25-year original amortization period, they've said, okay, you now, your payments are not sufficient enough to make interest and principal payments to correct this because rates have risen. We're just going to extend the amortization. So you actually don't have eight years left you actually have 32 or 37 right. we've seen 40 the highest i've ever seen a screenshot of so i didn't see this personally firsthand was 90 some odd years i think what happened is That's right wild. before rates went up so they had no equity in the property at all i think it was a brand new mortgage was it fixed it was a variable rate mortgage i thought yeah that, that they uh that the rate wasn't changing um and they were just a month or two in Right. And then rates just went straight up for like six months there. And then sure. they had this screenshot that it had gone up to like 90 some odd years. Yeah. Because um, don't quote me on this one. No, that's like okay. a screenshot thing that just shocked me when I'm I, trying to find the fixed 90 year mortgages. That's oh, yeah. Yeah. Get the fixed yeah. 90 year mortgages. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, and the States does that if you, you know, yeah. they do their 30 year period. Japan, there. I believe, has 100 year mortgages. Yeah. It's so, this game that the banks are playing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be something we see in Canada. I think it might be a federal election thing too. Let's make it affordable for new new uh, first-time home buyers to buy yeah. a property under the covers of a beautifully marketed name will be an amortization period of yeah. maybe 60 years or something, but you can see it coming. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, the again, like you look at the institutions, the banks, and you look at the government, you know, you look at how this these situations happen, but you know, in in 08 our banks got bailed out too, right? Nobody talks about that. And the government, I mean, like, just look at the Eglinton Rail. If you want to look at some, that that project was billions over budget, 
right? Think about where those billions could have been spent to help people, Jeez. right? And they're still building it. Like there's still construction on Eglinton, which is crazy, right? So, you know, you, you find what's going on out there. There's going to have to be a shift in not only government thinking, institutional thinking, but everyone's thinking to kind of work more with the individuals to keep the economy, mm -hmm. you know, in check because you can't keep spending endlessly. Like we've said, you know, you're you keep printing money to bail you out of the situations that you created in the first place. So, so are we the guys that I referenced in 1998 and 2008 that told me the housing prices couldn't go up further? Because I'm with you. Like, I'm yeah. with you. We can't I, keep doing this. But are, then my mind goes to, okay, are we now the older guys who say this can't keep going? No. And they just extend amortizations and, like, let the debt fly. And it's just about the monthly payment. Who cares about paying off debt? And yeah. let it ride. I, I think the housing market is cyclical. I think we're just, uh, you know, at a, a down point in the housing market. I think it will go back up. Um, I think the demand to live in a country like Canada or in Toronto specifically, because it's, you know, it's milder weather compared to like in Ottawa. Mm. Right. Um, and you're still living in kind of the financial capital of Canada. Right. Fair. Yep. Um, so I think that the housing prices will go back up in a period of time. I think the Bank of Canada will have no choice but to decrease the interest rates because, you know, that last quarter point, they said the economy was doing too good, so let's push it back a little bit because inflation increased, right? Um, I, I think that the Bank of Canada will have no choice because something's got to give, mm -hmm. right? You can keep pushing the interest rates up, but you're going to push us into a recession where you know everything will collapse, right? Um, or you can start balancing the economy a little better, which they should have done during COVID, right? The the if the Bank of Canada had used any intelligence whatsoever, <laughs> right? They could have seen that, oh my God, this real estate market is crazy. It's out of control. How in a pandemic are properties you know, increasing 20, 30, 40, 50%? Well, hello, the cost of money is almost zero, right? So if you want to balance out the cost of money, when you see an incredibly hot market, Start raising the prices the, then. The, the time that just drove it home for me is they had not started raising rates yet. I think um, one of the newspapers said Bank of Nova Scotia was saying they're going to raise rates like nine times. Like that announcement had been made, but nothing right. happened yet. And I remember uh, parts of our team had uh, taken time off over the Christmas holidays or the holiday season in uh, 2021. And then so, you know, end of December, they go away. Kind of no one's doing real estate stuff. Right. We all kind of come back and start chatting again. And this is maybe second week of January, third week of January. People see each other again. Sure. And everybody started freaking out because they looked at the real estate prices. And sure. by the start of December 2021 uh, to January 2022, prices, this is going to sound insane, but prices in some properties had gone up 30%. Yeah. 30 three zero percent like everybody around here was like i don't even know what to offer to have a chance at getting these properties and the bank of canada came out and it was january of 2022 and said we're not raising rates yeah and that's when i thought okay they don't have a clue like if you don't raise rates now and they, they began in february to be fair they did yeah. start the very next month but i thought if you're not starting now what are you look like? What are you waiting for? Well, and one thing we did at, at New Haven was we stopped second mortgages 
and we cut back our LTV. You did, so you saw you saw it. We, yeah, we we basically like we saw the heat in the market, and we were partaking for the first couple of months, and then we we're just like, hold on a What's second. Happening? Yeah, we're like this. <laughs> My spreadsheet is broken. Yeah, exactly. It's like you know what numbers should not be like this, right? So um, we cut back our LTVs. We you know we started adding more restrictions. I mean, a couple of months we closed like almost like single digit deals, which is wild, right? But it just didn't fit our underwriting criteria, mm. and we're we're thankful we made those changes because you know there are other you know other funds out there that are taking you know six figure losses on properties because you know you're lending on a five million dollar prop five million dollar property, and you know you're going up to sixty percent, but the property oh, is it's really yeah, a three million dollar yeah it's really a three million dollar property right so you're underwater so you're gonna you're gonna take the hit right. And, uh, you know, one thing that is important in real estate is diversification, right? Um, you know, prior to COVID, uh, there were funds that, that um, you know, they, they didn't diversify as much. So they bought one big commercial property um, and, you know, they put all their eggs in that one basket. And sure enough, COVID hit. And what happened to commercial properties during COVID, right? No one could pay rent. There was no clients. There was no customers. You're not getting any income from that property. You're sitting with a large, you know, $30 million plaza on your oh, books smokes. and you're, you're stuck. So, um, you know, funds like that really struggled during COVID, but it's also about kind of understanding what market you're in and adjusting to it prior, right? And keeping that diversification model up because let's face it, stuff like this will happen again, right? There's gonna be cycles in the real estate market. It's inevitable. So you can just do the best you can with your investment strategy to make sure you're as diversified as possible. Like you yourself, you said, you know, you guys have multiple properties that you deal with. And, right? and we tell everyone, you kind of, real estate, you get in and then you hang on for dear life and try to survive. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, people will always come to us and say, well, I'm trying to time the market, Tom. I'm not going to buy right now. I'm going to wait until there's blood in the streets. And I'm yeah. like, well, if you wait for that moment, the reason that that situation exists is likely because the banks are not lending. So if you want to buy at that time, you better be a cash buyer. Sure. Because you're probably not going to be able to go to the banks and get financing because the reason things are just horrible are because credit is seizing up and it's expensive and stuff. So you have to really have wits about you to carry through with your belief. And then at the top of the market, people don't want to, some, some people are like, I'm not going to buy now right. because it's the top of the market, which is fair. Right. But then I'm like, well, when are you ever going to get in? So sometimes you have to run the numbers like you're saying, yeah. and then you get in and hopefully you've done enough due diligence that you know what you're buying and have enough liquidity to survive the ups and downs. Sure. And then you just survive the roller coaster. Because yeah. that to me is what real estate is about. It's more about time in the market and survival than picking the absolute perfect timing of the market. Well, yeah, and you look at you look at the cycles, right? Everyone who who's being hurt in these cycles are the people who over leverage themselves, mm. right? It's not the people who have properties like I know plenty of people who have you know, 10, 15 properties in their books, but they've controlled yeah, their exposure equity, on yeah. each property. Yeah. So you know, sure enough, you can buy, you know, buying a condo right now downtown, right? You know, what, uh, how do you service that? Tough. How do you, like rental income is not going to keep up. Plus with the, with cost. the condo fees and yeah. your, yeah. Property taxes, you're, you're underwater every month, right? So if you're going to make an investment like that, you have to do the numbers and make sure that even if you're underwater, you can, you know, kind of stress test yourself basically, mm -hmm. right? 
And, uh, you know, like you said, timing is everything. And some people get lucky. Some people. Sure. And then you seem like a hero when you get lucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you feel like a zero when you don't. I mean, really, my first family home in Mississauga when we got married was uh, a four bedroom, two car garage home for two hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars that when I signed the papers, I looked over to my wife. I'm like, well, listen, somebody has to buy at the top of the market. Might as well be us. Yeah. At two hundred and sixty eight because we had friends about a year earlier bought basically the same house for like two twenty five. Right. It's a madame home. So I thought, well, two sixty eight, you know, on a percentage basis. Oh, you got ripped off, buddy. I'm I'm getting hosed. You know, I'm a family guy. This is, we got to do this, you know. You can't even get a closet downtown for 268,000. Yeah. So when I, if I had just bought the street, (laughs) when I bought that house, I don't know, I'd be living in Croatia with, you know, with the Sultan. With the Sultan. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, we're all, it is a difficult game uh, for sure. I'm, I'm curious. So, like, new, your role at New Haven, I'm, because I'm new, we've met through a mutual friend, Darcy. Yeah. Who are your customers? Can you map like who is so who do you guys work with? What are the products? What's your market fit here? So but for, for someone who hasn't isn't familiar. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we we operate a fund, a mix. So we you know, we have investors that, you know, invest in our fund that, you know, are primarily high net worth individuals. We also have institutional financing from uh, from TD. And, you know, we take those funds and we lend them out to first and second mortgages around Ontario. A lot of our borrowers are newcomers to Canada, you know, people who are kind of rehabilitating themselves, trying to get back to uh, the trust companies and then eventually the banks, which is kind of the promised land of where they need to be. And on top of that, we also have, um, you know, people who have unique situations, right? So I'll give you an example. I We lent to my real estate agent, um, who uh, he bought a house in Toronto. He wanted to buy the house next door, which was in shambles. Um, and, you know, this is in Leslieville, so it's a nice area. And uh, he didn't tick all the boxes because as a real estate agent, you're self-employed, right? So it's horrible. You finance guys yeah. hate, hate all self-employed people. Yeah. <laughs> self-employed. Tell me, no, actually, li- we, tell me a little bit more about yeah. what you yeah, exactly. self-employed. Yeah. <laughs> How much money did you make? So what see? kind of drug dealer are you exactly? No, so self-employed people actually come to us a lot because, you know, they'll have unique situations like so he bought the house next door. And I mean, uh, this is probably one of the best investments that I've seen. I mean, the guy went, he bought a new car after. So he bought it, renovated it, sold it for at the height of the market. Well, he Not sold it for him. in 2021. Uh, so the guy, you know, he went to Hawaii on, got married, uh, bought a Good new car. Him. These are yeah. the stories we so, love to hear. So it's like, you know, people always assume that it's like the worst type of borrower that will have to come sure. to us, but yeah. it, that's not really the case, right? Yeah, I had a, a dentist friend who couldn't get financing to expand his, uh, I guess he needed a bunch of dental chairs and these things yeah. are expensive apparently, so yeah. he had to go to private, you know, or like a MIC to get yeah. some money because the banks were just turning him down um, yeah. because he wanted to expand his practice and he had no other source of financing, so right. that saved him. And one of the unique things about private financing is the fact that you can look through and understand mm-hmm. the story, right? It's not just a ticket. Hmm, so that's how it is for you. You guys will, you know, joking aside about self-employed people, you will say, okay, tell me more. Like, yeah, we, your story. What we, is it that how you are you making money? Right. Why does your tax return look like this? Right. Tell us all the, the, the dirty details. Exactly. And, and you got to understand, you know, uh, what the liability is. Like as an example, HST, right? Mm-hmm. How are you dealing with your HST? 
because that's always a common problem for self-employed people. It's just, you know, oh, I filed back in 20. I'll never forget when I first got my real estate license yeah. because I was an employee before, it was all handled. And then I was getting commissions um, and I didn't realize the HST was included with this. Yeah. The first time my account's like, okay, well, you know, you have to pay this much in HST. I'm like, what? What is HST, that? What? what are you talking about? I had a heart, like your heart just sinks. My stomach was dropping. I'm like, I don't have that money. Yeah. It was a horror show. You just spent it on the $268,000 house in Mississippi. Yeah, right? yeah. I spent it on just macaroni and cheese <laughs> trying to survive. <laughs> but, but ever since then, I made that. That was the impetus for me to make a bank account um, and then rename it online banking taxes yeah and then every time money would come in a simple little thing right changed my entire life you know money yeah. comes in just take that little piece put it over there because it's not mine yeah. i hated doing it sure but it changed our lives but anyway so you dig into this kind of stuff yeah we do and and i think that it, and i'm sure a lot of your investors when they're when they're looking at you know the type of uh properties that they want to lend on Right. They they look beyond just the the income and credit. They try to understand what the story is of the person. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and especially now, because you know people are coming up with more and more unique situations, investors, they need options. Right. If they can't, you know, continue to go the banking route, they need, you know, an option that will give them what they need. That's, you know, a reasonable uh, at a reasonable cost. That's not, you know, 16, 18 percent. Mm. Um, and you know you'll see that on the on the. So you're you're in a tough spot because you kind of have to look through the smoke a bit to see if people are telling you the truth. Like I'm sure you get fed a lot of stories that yeah. just are not completely truthful. So you do have to because you're lending out you know hard cash here. You make a mistake, the consequences of that yeah. can be devastating. But uh, the the counterpoint to that is that we look at equity the collateral, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. so the counterpoint is our our basis for creating this company was always equity based lending. Equity-based lending, as on its own, will not exist come come in the future because simply because FISRA is now regulating on the consumer side, they're protecting consumers more, right? So, uh, you know, uh, brokers, mortgage brokers, they need to look more at suitability. They need to look at, you know, how will is this the right product for the client? Right. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas you can look at how much net worth somebody has and use that in some of your. Sure. That's that's a consideration. Okay. But the banks generally don't. Yeah. They and the banks will lend up to, you know, like 90 percent on properties. Right. We don't like to do stuff like that. Like our weighted average is, you know, we have two share classes. One is a more conservative share class, which is up to 55 percent LTV. Um, that, that returns about 6%, but it's basically like, you know, lending 55% on a property's value, you're in a relatively very safe position, right? And we have a second share class that, you know, is up to 8%. That can, can go up to 80%, but our weighted average is about 66, 67%. So you guys are, I would call that fairly conservative in how you're lending. Yeah. And, and if you look at that, like I'd mentioned last year, we did, you know, one of the months we did seven deals, mm -hmm. right? Because we just couldn't find the right deals that made us comfortable to be able to lend money out on that. Um, but at the same time, you know, we had pulled back on second mortgages, which now we felt comfortable reintroducing, but we have a lot of caps on what, how, what qualifies for a second. LTV mm. uh, loan amount, the loan amount in front of us, because that's always a very important consideration. 
um, and you know max amount. So sorry, the loan amount, like the absolute dollar figure of the loan amount. In Correct. Front of you? Oh, yeah. because so, you're just assigning more risk if it's a higher amount. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Because as a second, what if let's say the first goes into arrears, your job is either to pay that. First oh, got it. For you up. to recoup yours, you got to take out the first. Correct. Yeah. So you don't want first in front of you of like two, three, four million dollars sure. if choose too much capital. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna and yeah. plus like you'll likely if the first is in arrears, you're gonna be in arrears. Mm -hmm as well right and what we saw you know in the last three four months is a lot of seconds got wiped out because you know they they leveraged up to the sun and they got burnt basically so you know there's so many like real yeah. estate as i'm yeah, sure yeah. you know there's so there's so much nuance and yeah. to your, your comment of just a few minutes ago about equity-based lending kind of going away in canada can you talk more about you just think that the regulations are not going to allow for lending where you look at um just just the property value because if let's say that you, will just be regulated away yeah, I, I believe so. I actually have a meeting with FISRA next week that, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of their supervisory um, approach to to the industry. And basically what what they're talking about is essentially, you know, you, you have, you know, take someone's grandmother as an example, making just a pension income. Right. They have a million dollar house and they want to take out an you know, it's free and clear. They want to take out an eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage on that now true equity lending or sorry 800 is a little aggressive yeah let's, let's say, say 600 600 yeah right but true equity lending that'd be a no-brainer but you look at the debt yeah can that be right? supported can that be supported and one tro one problem that people get into and especially in last year is a lot of people prepaid their mortgages in equity so mm -hmm. what they mm -hmm. do is they you know you lend yeah, up got to, it. yeah you lend up wow. to 65 five percent of that is actually prepayment for the year so you know, when the renewal comes, guess who's in trouble? The person who is making a pension income mm -hmm. that has no idea yeah. that, you know, they're there. So in that business, a lot of it could be predatory. You could get sure. a lot of people in the market, which I'm sure you see and know this stuff maybe more yeah. than I'm exposed to. But a lot of people can get taken advantage of. Definitely. Yeah. And and now with and one good thing about technology, right, is the fact that, you know, people have the ability now to look things up online. Back, you know, back when, you know, 10, 15, mm. see, again, I have no point of reference. When I say back when, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. am I talking about just, five years ago yeah. or 30 years ago? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But five years ago does feel like literally, like you said, 25 or 30 years ago. Yeah. So, so much has happened. So uh, back then, um, we, uh, you know, people didn't have as much access to information. There's a whole mm. bunch of, you know, new products out there that, that allow people to look these things up and find the best mortgage for themselves because they'll they'll need to do research, right, as a borrower, right? And even as an investor, you should be doing your research on people, whoever you're working with, like, you know, obviously you guys have a pristine reputation in the industry, but not everyone is so lucky to work with you, right? So thank you. they're gonna be- You're like, I have to pay you now for the, yeah. Yeah, 20 bucks, that's 20, all I need. Oh, is that it? That's okay. it, all right, cool. that's it. All that's I want is Tim Hortons for the ride home. I got a gift card for you at the front. Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's it. Um, but, you know, people are not so lucky on the investor and borrower side to be one put into the right mortgage and to having the right mortgage. And that's something that FISRA is really working on right now. And it's not just for the borrower protection. It's also for the investor protection. So overall, it's good. 
Like it's it is. good that they're working on this. Yeah, it is. It because it, it, I usually hate regulation, but this is a situation where the regulation seems to make sense. Well, yeah, and you look at the the private market in general; it's grown in billions of dollars. Yeah, got it's it. still a spec compared to what the banks do, but at the same time, you know, you've got a lot of people in Ontario that that kind of depend on this type of lending, whether they're self-employed and they don't take all the boxes, but they can't. They shouldn't be put in a mortgage. Like, you know, first of like 12, 13 yeah. percent. That's not fair because that is not the, the most suitable product for that client. But, you know, if if the broker, say, has a relationship with the lender or whatever it is, um, you know, the broker will be more inclined to send that deal to that lender. So a lot of the regulation coming in is about kind of making sure that there's at least some work put in. Now, it's obviously not a perfect science, right? Because sure. a lot of the lenders will have a related brokerage to them themselves. So how is that lender going to say, OK, I've got a deal in here. We're not the best option. So we're going to take it to another Ship lender. It out. Right. Yeah. It, you know, there's a line there. So, that, the few, so I guess from listening to you, I guess you think there's a bright future for the you know, going forward for private lending. It's always going to, there's going to be a need for this Absolutely. going forward, probably a growing need as just the economy. It, it feels to me like the banks are going to move so slow that they won't uh, understand some of these new self-employed people yeah. and their incomes. Private lending kind of steps up to satisfy that need in the economy. Absolutely. We need some more regulation though, perhaps around this, but then with technology, I feel like it's going to make your life easier Sure. because I don't know, maybe someone is a self-employed Uber driver, for example, and you'll yep. be able to see their Uber revenue in real time. Whereas before a self-employed person, you could just like say yeah. that, you know, it was difficult for them to always prove their income. Sure. But now with cash. technology, they might be self-employed and they can, but they can directly prove to you their income. Sure. And it's about corporate social responsibility too, right? So it's on the lenders to, to, to look at the fact that you have a situation here where you know, you need to give the person the right option, mm -hmm. right? Because society depends on it and it'll correct itself eventually. And it plays to your advantage. If you do the right thing, yeah. your reputation increases. Yeah. It's just better business. Sure. And, you know, we've uh, we've over the like we rebranded probably about three years ago and uh, started with this whole good lender image, which, you know, is kind of trying to remove the stigma away from the private lending side hmm. and basically we cut our feeds back you know we've you know tried to focus on transparency where you know what you see is what you get basically got it and those are just you know things that i think are no-brainers that will eventually become standard hmm. so what you mean is like no extra fees that weren't explained up front and that yeah kind of stuff? like like as an example a percentage fee on discharge right hmm. so you know to discharge a mortgage you get charged you know a like a four point fee right now it doesn't seem like a lot but it like on a million dollar mortgage that's a whole lot of money right um so just stuff like that right and i think that as the the industry matures and people kind of you know follow the regulations just you know the same way in 08 regulators put all these restrictions on banks which they then loosened up and then mm -hmm. we had silicon valley happen um, you know, there's always a balance, right? You're never going to strike that perfect balance because you you always try and regulation is always behind innovation. And then when regulation catches up, innovation, innovation is, is 10 times, 10 times ahead, <laughs> yeah. right? Wild times. Yeah. Um, 
Arjun, I appreciate, you know, I did, we were just getting to know each other. So, yeah. and, and uh, I guess I should say everyone should know that we're just learning about each other here. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're going to go and do something with New Haven Mortgage, do your own due diligence. Absolutely. Check it all out. But uh, I really appreciate uh, you sitting down and, and, and sharing this stuff. Yeah. You didn't have, we dragged you all the way from Markham to Oakville to do this. So I hey. uh, really, really appreciate this. Anything else that you want to share about New Haven specifically that we haven't covered that comes to mind? No, just, um, I mean, you know, we talk about investment opportunities, right? So uh, if you if you invest in, in a MIC, and, you know, this is not a pitch for any MIC, but there are advantages and disadvantages to investing in any type of real estate, right? Um, so depending on the type and the level of investor you are and, you know, what you look for, an option for a MIC may be a good option and... There are plenty of mix out there. Do your due diligence on all of them. And, you know, I'm I'm uh, not trying to promote ourselves, but I will shamelessly promote ourselves. I think that we have a great management team, um, you know, from Jason Viner, our CEO, uh, Katie Fulford, you know, our manager of operations. We do a lot of good work, I think, in the industry. And I think that we will be a viable option for an investment. Um, I'm not saying we're the only one or the, you know, the absolute best one, but I think we do provide something that investors can look towards and, uh, feel confident that their money is in good hands and invested properly. Do you, now I have a question. Do you ever work with investors who you mentioned that, that realtor who did that? So I guess you do do some lending on projects where someone says, Hey, I see an opportunity here. I am, I need some money. I am going to tear this down and rebuild this. Um, so you do those kinds or not really, not really okay. because you know, it depends on what type of renovations they're doing. Yeah. Okay. That's right? Because if it's tricky. down to the studs or it's like a complete teardown, or collateral, we probably uh, won't don't, won't do it okay. unless there's enough equity depending. Right. Like, um, but you know, and, I, and we've added more restrictions obviously as underwriting has become more complicated. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity out there working with, you know, great people like yourselves. And I'm glad, I'm really glad that I made the drive out here. Oh, cool. So. Well, thank you. Remember life is short. So okay. you have to get that property in India yeah, yeah. and it's not too late to get back on the Bitcoin bandwagon. Okay. I'm Life is be, short. Life. Yeah. I got, I got this right here. It's right. <laughs> that, somebody my, gave me that yeah. as a gift. I don't even remember. Yeah. But yeah. Some it's people okay. who don't know Bitcoin, they think it's a real Bitcoin. I'm like, no, this is not. A all real all I ask is you put in a good word with the Sultan for me. Yeah. Right? Okay. That's <laughs> Consider it done. Consider it. Appreciate Arjun, it. Arjun, thank you so much. The uh, URL to, for someone to reach out to you guys, what's the best place? Hit the URL. Uh, yeah. The, the website. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we're on, we're on social media, on LinkedIn, on Instagram and Facebook. So you can find us, you know, just Google us and you'll be able to see us. Newhavenmortgage.com. Cool. Arjun, thank you so much. Perfect. Appreciate Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Arjun. You can find out more about New Haven Mortgage by visiting their website. That's newhavenmortgage.com. So newhavenmortgage.com. I should say we have no relationship. We are just learning out about them, feeling each other out. So please do your due diligence if you're about to do business with them. So that is on you. I hope I'm being loud and clear here. So you can check them out at newhavenmortgage.com. And if you are listening to this and you have some questions about financing and how the financing works for residential real estate investors here in the Ontario area. That's one of the things, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, a little cough there. That's one of the things you get access to as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. 
You can come out to one of the financing classes that we have here where we share all the different experiences that we have with financing, down payments and interest rates. So you can get access to that class as a Rockstar Inner Circle member along with the 20 other classes that are geared towards investors. And you can learn everything about the Rockstar Inner Circle membership by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough for the, with this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.